Hi, everyone. My name is George Davis, and I, too, want to thank you for joining us for this online service of the Hershey Free Church. If you're a teenager, maybe at some point you have gotten a question like this. So what do you want to do when you finish school or What do you want to do when you grow up? Or what do you want to do with your life? Uh, I think most of us who are older can also remember times in our lives where we got that same kind of question. Well, today we're continuing our series entitled Snapshots of Christmas. We're looking at different snapshots in the Christmas story and really learning how our personal stories intersect with the Christmas story. And today our snapshot focuses on Joseph. Now, even as I asked you a moment ago to think about that question that you often get as a young adult, think about asking that same kind of question to Joseph when he was a teenager. Okay, Joseph, so what do you want to do with your life? How do do you think he might have responded to that? How might he have answered? Well, in, in his cultural setting, it was common for sons to really follow in their father's occupation. We, we normally think of Joseph as a carpenter. Uh, the, the term actually used in the New Testament can include that, but can also be broader than that to kind of communicate the idea of being a craftsman. And quite possibly his father had been a craftsman, and if you had talked to him in his young adult years, he would have seen himself following in his father's footsteps. And I think that's probably how he envisioned his life unfolding. He, he was from this really small, out-of-the-way, nondescript village known as Nazareth. But interestingly, even though while Nazareth was very obscure, it was actually very close to a, a, a burgeoning urban center known as Sepphoris. And in the first century, there were a lot of construction jobs, a lot of construction activities in this growing city in Galilee. So quite possibly, if you talk to Joseph, his, his, his dream for his life was, you know, I want to get married and then then I'm, I'm going to work. I'm going to be just like my dad. Maybe I'll even end up commuting every day to Sepphoris, walking a couple of hours every day because there's going to be plenty of work in this region of Galilee. Now, if something like that was his plan, uh, he did take the first step. He became engaged to a young woman in the area, right? Her name was Mary. But then the unexpected happened. Mary becomes pregnant. And this, this is where we're actually introduced to Joseph in the Christmas story. Now, as we look at this snapshot today, as we look at the story of Joseph, there, there is a theme that I want you to pay attention to. I think a theme that we need to see in the Christmas story. And the theme that I'm talking about is courage. As it turns out, Courage is a theme woven into the Christmas story. Now, I realize we can, we can define it in different ways, but as we talk about courage today, here's kind of how I want us to talk about it. I think courage involves simply taking steps of costly obedience. Courage is the, is the willingness to kind of do the right thing, to take steps of obedience, even when they are costly. And as we're going to see today, that they're woven into the story of Joseph. They're woven into the Christmas story. And, and the reality of, uh, of, of life is this. If we are to follow Jesus well, courage, courage needs to be woven into our story. Now, to show you what I mean, let's now just kind of jump into these familiar scenes from the Christmas story. Let's jump into the snapshot of Joseph's life. And we're really introduced to him in Matthew chapter 1. 
This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, stop there for a moment. Um, When you read this phrase, pledged to be married, I think we need to understand that engagement was different in first century Jewish culture. It was actually a much more formal process than what we experience today. It was a legal process. In essence, uh, Mary and Joseph had, had kind of already officially legally started the process of marriage. And as such, the only way to end an engagement in this culture was through divorce. So uh, Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, in Luke's gospel, we learn that Mary spent several months uh, during her pregnancy with her relative Elizabeth, and then apparently she goes back to Nazareth. And, and when this happens, Joan, uh, Joseph learns that she is pregnant. Now, Joan, uh, now Joseph has a dilemma. What, <laughs> what is he to do? Well, let's read on. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And, and what we read here, Matthew wants us to understand uh, that, that Joseph was a guy committed to doing the right thing. This phrase, faithful to the law, you, you can also translate as he, he was righteous. He was one seeking to do the right thing. And... And in this situation, it's complicated because on on the one hand, uh, he doesn't want to condone her behavior. And his assumption is that she's committed adultery, that she's gotten pregnant through another guy. And so he doesn't want to uh, condone that behavior, but he also doesn't want to embarrass her. And therefore, uh, apparently he reached the decision that he wants to have a quiet divorce. He could have taken her to court, uh, but instead he decides to have a a quiet divorce, to do this privately. And and understand, with this plan comes a certain cost to Joseph. Had he taken her to court, um, he probably could have impounded her diary, and he could have recouped the bride price if he had paid one. So his, his desire to do the right thing actually potentially comes with a financial cost. But then the story continues. Now that he's reached, he reached a, a decision on how to handle this dilemma, he encounters an angel of the Lord in a dream. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then this quote from Isaiah, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. 
So Joseph finds himself in this dilemma, and it, you know he's, he's, he's convinced his wife has committed adultery, but he is challenged by the angel to understand something bigger is at work, and therefore Joseph takes the courageous step to marry her. So he takes her as his wife. And of course, we, we read in Luke's gospel that ultimately they, they make the journey to Bethlehem. And this is where Jesus is born because they're there to register for the census. The baby is born, right? The shepherds visit those dramatic moments of Christmas Day. And then apparently the couple settles down in, in Bethlehem. And it's, it's during that time that they have that famous visit from those guys that we call the wise men who were really astrologers from the east. And after they leave, the story in Matthew continues. And we read this. When they had gone, that is, those astrologers, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod, and this is Herod the Great, is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during, during the middle of the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. So apparently they settle in Bethlehem and they're kind of just getting settled as a new family in Bethlehem. But then there's another dream. And once again, Joseph has to take this courageous step of fleeing in the middle of the night to, to Egypt. And, and now they settle in Egypt as what you might call refugees. And uh, quite possibly there, there are certain places in Egypt they would have settled, certain places where there were uh, communities of Jews that were already present. And then while they are in Egypt, the story continues. And we read this. After Herod died, again, Herod the Great, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Interestingly, it appears that, uh, that while they were in Egypt, Joseph's original plan was was maybe to go back to Bethlehem. You know, maybe while they had been settled there, he found work. They were getting established as a couple. So even though they had to take this hiatus to Egypt, his hope now was to go back to Bethlehem. But as they come back to Israel, he's warned in a dream, don't go back to Judea, go to Galilee. And so once again, Joseph takes that kind of courageous step and does what he has commanded. And he ends up back in Nazareth. And and you'll notice that um, he's told to do this because Archelaus was ruling in place of his father. And there's, there's a real historical background to what's said in this text. You see, when Herod the Great died, his kingdom, in essence, was divided between three sons. And arguably the least competent and most ruthless of the three was a guy named Archelaus who, who ruled in Judea. In fact, he was so incompetent that eventually uh, the Romans removed him from power and replaced him with a Roman procurator. So it makes sense that Joseph ultimately goes back to Galilee. 
So these are, these are three scenes from Joseph's life, from Joseph's story. And, and in each scene, Joseph is challenged to take certain steps, steps in the midst of confusion and uncertainty, steps that in essence come with their own cost, steps of courage, steps of costly obedience. Now, with that in mind, let's just talk about what I think we can learn from Joseph's experience as we think about courage. So let me just briefly make a couple of observations for you. And the first that I would make is this. We need courage because we don't know what the future holds. We need courage because we don't know what the future holds. Think for a moment with me about some of the cultural messages that that we kind of receive as we go through life. And you, you, you may not even be aware that we're receiving these messages because, in essence, they're just part of the cultural air that we breathe. And, and one message that I have in mind in particular is the message that if you make the right choices, if you do the right thing, you can control your circumstances and situation. And we, see, we receive that message in all sorts of ways. For instance, maybe you're a high school student, and part of that messaging for you is, you know what? You need to get good, good grades. You know, now the grades are important. You need to get good grades. You need to take enough advanced placement courses. You need to do certain extracurricular activities so that you, you have the right kind of resume. And if you do this, then you will be able to get into the college of your choice. And if you do this, then you will control the, the future. <laughs> And in some ways, the messaging continues. Maybe you're a college student. And, you know, again, part of the messaging that you're receiving is, you know what? You need to get good grades. You need to meet the right people. You need to build the right networks. You need to get the right internship. And, again, if, if you do the right thing, you can control your future. Maybe you're, you're a little farther in life's journey. You're a young adult. You've kind of gotten into the workplace, the marketplace. You're in your first job or in one of your first jobs. And again, we, we get this pressure. You know what? If you, if you make the right choices, if you build your career carefully, if you meet the right people, you can control your future. Maybe <laughs> you're a little farther along. Maybe you've gotten married. Maybe you have kids. And in essence, I think then the cycle continues because we become parents. And then it feels like the, the cultural messaging is, well, if you just do the right thing as a parent, if you provide the right opportunities, if you provide the right input, then you can control your children's future. And interestingly, I think sometimes, unfortunately, we, we even perpetuate this messaging in church. You know what? If you just obey if you just do the right thing, if you just stay out of trouble, then, then God is going to ensure you that your future is what you plan and what you desire. If you do the right thing, you can still control your future. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not in any way denying the importance of hard work or denying the importance of wise decision-making. Nonetheless, look at Joseph's life. I mean, he's, he's described as a righteous man. If you had known him, you would say, this is a guy really committed to doing the right thing. This is a guy committed to making hard choices and wise choices, even in difficult situations. And remember, he's young. He, too, is probably a teenager in, in the opening chapter of Matthew's gospel. 
Here's a guy committed to doing the right thing, yet even he finds himself in a situation that is totally unexpected. He finds himself in a situation that's complicated. You know, it's interesting. I think, I think when we look at the Christmas story, what we see is this whole beautiful story. But for those who actually lived the Christmas story, it, it was chaotic. It was confusing. It was complicated. And that meant it was a situation that required courage. He didn't, definitely didn't see this coming. I mean, if you had had that conversation with, with Joseph as a early, in his early teenage years about how he sees his life unfolding, it would have definitely not included any of this. See, he didn't know what the future holds, and therefore he found himself in a situation that was surprising. He found himself in a situation that required courage, a willingness to take steps of obedience, even when those steps might be costly. And you know what? I think, I think we need to live with this understanding and recognition that despite our planning, despite our wise choices, despite our wisdom, at times we're going to encounter situations that we didn't expect, situations beyond our control, situations that can be cloudy, confusing, and complicated. What they require from us is courage, a desire to take steps of obedience, even in the midst of confusion, steps at times that may be costly. Now, when we look at Joseph's life, I think we see this. You know, we need courage because because we don't know what the future holds. But I think also when we look at Joseph's life, we I think we get a glimpse into where this kind of courage comes from. And I think in in Joseph's life, it really becomes obvious that this this courage begins by embracing the gospel. Again, think about Joseph. So here's Joseph. He finds himself in this unexpected, unplanned situation. And the angel asks him to take a courageous step. Think about the wording again. Joseph, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid to take her as your wife. Now, why was he afraid? Why was this a courageous step? Well, that step was courageous, I think, for a variety of reasons. It, it, it's courageous because, you know what? At this point, Joseph doesn't really know Mary. I mean, we need to understand, according to the cultural patterns of first century Israel, at this point, they would have arguably spent very little time together. They would not have been allowed to spend much time together, even though they were engaged. And, and yet, so they, they didn't know each other well. And in this moment, it's easy for Joseph to just think the worst of her to think that she's been unfaithful, that she's committed adultery. And and the angel says, no, don't be afraid to marry her because the the child within her is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is a courageous step for Joseph because he doesn't doesn't really know Mary. And I think furthermore, it's, it's a courageous step because you know what? If he goes through with this, other people will think the worst of him. They will presume the worst. 
If he goes through with this, others will presume that they have been unfaithful, that they've gotten pregnant before the wedding, which was socially unacceptable. And, and with that is going to come gossip. With that is going to come a certain stigma that he has to live with. It's, this is a costly step that the angel is asking Joseph to take. So why should he take that step? Well, I think the angel explains why this is necessary. Joseph, you need to take this step because this step is rooted in the gospel. It is rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ. Joseph, the, the child your wife is carrying, is the Messiah. He is the one who will save his people. He will save you from your sin. And so, Joseph, your life is now part of this bigger story of what God is doing. Interestingly, notice Joseph is called son of David. This is the only place in Matthew's gospel where someone besides Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Joseph, your life is now part of this bigger story. This is why you need to take this courageous step. Joseph, your life is now part of what God is doing, where he is at work in us and around us. And I think for us as well, this, this should be the source, the basis of our courage. It's rooted in the gospel. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, right, we're, we're now part of the bigger story. The story where he is at work in us and around us. Where we are part of that plan that brings forgiveness, renewal, restoration, and new life. And as his spirit is at work within us, at times, we must take courageous steps. Steps that come with a cost, right? A cost in relationships. Steps that come with the, the awkwardness of having hard conversations that we need to have. Conversations that would be easier to avoid. Steps that come with a cost because other people may not understand why we're taking them. But they're steps that are ultimately rooted in our new identity as followers of Jesus. So, in Joseph's life, I think we see we, we need to have courage because at times, life takes surprising turns. We don't know what holds the future. And we need to see that our willingness to take courageous steps is ultimately rooted in the gospel. Now, we could stop here, but, but I think there's one other thing that, that we need to notice, one other thing that we need to acknowledge. And, and sometimes this is really the hard part of this story, I think, to grapple with personally. And, and this thing that can be hard to grapple with is one more reason why we need courage, and, and that is this observation. We need courage because God's work is disruptive. Now think about the three scenes we looked at for a moment, right? First, Joseph, you need to marry Mary, and so he marries her. Second scene, Joseph, you need to go down to Egypt. So he goes down to Egypt. Third scene, Joseph, you need to go back to Israel. But, but don't go to Judea and Bethlehem. Go to Galilee. So he goes to Galilee. Now, interestingly, notice this. 
I don't know if you caught this, but in each scene, Matthew tells us specifically, you know what? In this moment, God was at work. God was at work. God was at work. In each of those three scenes, he specifically says, and you know what? This was to fulfill what the prophets said. This wasn't just a random act. This was part of God's plan. This was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In each scene, Matthew says specifically, God was at work. Yet each scene was also chaotic and disruptive. Each scene was a moment that kind of broke into the status quo and disrupted Joseph's life. And therefore, each scene was a moment that required courage from Joseph. In each scene, he has to what? He has to get up and go. He has to get up and marry Mary. He has to get up and flee in the middle of the night to go to Egypt. He has to uh, get up and, and then move again and leave Egypt and go back to Galilee and Israel. And so each scene is a fulfillment of God's work, but each scene is also disruptive in such a way that it requires courage. It requires steps of costly obedience. And I, and I wonder if in, in the midst of all that, Joseph ever just kind of thought for a moment you know what I just I just wanted a quiet life a little house a commute to Sepphoris to do my work yet God disrupted his comfort God disrupted his convenience God dis- disrupted his credibility and how people might think of him and in essence said Joseph <laughs> I'm drawing you into a bigger story it will be disruptive at times but I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And I think when we look at the Christmas story, when we look at Joseph's life, we have to understand at times God's work in our lives will feel very disruptive. I mentioned, some of you have heard me mention this before, but when I think about how God works and how that can at times be surprising, disruptive, maybe the scene in my own life that comes to mind took place as I was finishing my graduate education finished my education, and as I finished my education, I was looking for uh, positions where I could serve jobs as a pastor, and at one point, I was actually talking to three different churches in three different parts of the United States, and my prayer at that time was, was really, God, I just, just make one of these clear. Make one of these just open up and, and let the others two become closed doors for me, and, and that is exactly what happened. <laughs> But the, but the one that became clear, the path that became clear was a path to Fargo, North Dakota. And I've got to be, I've got to be perfectly honest with you. This, this was hard for me. This was humbling for me. I mean, at the time, you know, I had, I had, kind of, I had certain dreams and expectations about what my life might look like, what my ministry might look like, and none of those dreams included North Dakota. And and, and it, it was a hard season in some ways. I mean, my wife and I still we, we joke about the fact that, you know, when we, when we started telling people where we were going, we got what we affectionately referred to as the Fargo response. People would look at us and go, Fargo? Yes, Fargo. Now, frankly, as, as I look back on those nine years, <laughs> and as I look back on those nine winters, I'm deeply appreciative of that season in my life. I'm deeply appreciative of kind of what God 
<laughs> did in me and, and the things we learned. I'm deeply appreciative of that season in the life of our family. But I've got to tell you, at the time, it felt very disruptive, very unexpected. And yet I was learning, well, this, this is how God works. And I need to be attuned to that. So we need, we need to be aware that, you know what? At times, God's work is very disruptive. At times, we will find ourselves in situations where God's work in us and through us is disrupting our comfort, our convenience. At times, we will find ourselves in situations where we're taking steps of obedience is going to come with a cost. And, and we may find ourselves going back to God saying, oh, God, if you would just give me my comfort back. And God says, no. My highest priority, even as much as I love you, my highest priority is not simply to give you comfort. My highest priority is to shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. Because your life is now rooted in this bigger story of what I'm doing the bigger story of the gospel, and I'm, I'm shaping you to live in that reality, to live in light of my love and to share that with others. And that means at times, God's work will be disruptive. At times, it will require from us responses of courage, taking steps of costly obedience. Now, with that in mind, um, I really I want to challenge you to do two things. I want to challenge you <laughs> today to do two things. And the first thing I want to challenge you to do is really something that, that we're going to do together. We are going to do as a church community. And so I'm inviting us to do this together as we begin the new year. Because as we begin the new year, we're going to start a new series. It's, it's actually Love This Book Part 3. Over the last couple of years, we spent the opening part of the year going through the Old Testament. Now we're going to come to the New Testament. And at the beginning of the year, we're going to start a series that moves us through the life of Christ. And, and what I'm inviting us to do together is to really engage this series. And, and one of the ways we do that is by really getting into the scriptures on our own. And I'm going to invite you to join me in doing that. We're actually making a devotional guide available here at church. We'll also make it available online. And this will help you really engage the scriptures as we go through this series. So I'm, I'm going to invite you to join me in doing this. Furthermore, over the last several months, our, our elder team has really had this growing conviction uh, that we need to spend time together in prayer as a church. And so what we're going to do, we're going to set aside uh, three weeks in January as, as, a, as a dedicated season of prayer. So we're going to invite you to join us in this season of prayer and also invite you to fast as part of this season of prayer. I'll, I'll explain more about that as we uh, get into the beginning of the year. But we, we want to engage God's word and we want to engage God in prayer because in, in a real sense, you know, as a church community and within our broader culture, we have experienced a disruptive season. We've experienced a year, almost two years now, that have kind of interrupted our convenience and our comfort and we're kind of moving beyond that. But it's been an unexpected season. And in the midst of that, as a church community, we really want to be a community of people that's responding in courage 
that's taking steps of obedience in this new season in, in our church community's life, even if those steps are costly. And so we want to engage God's word. We want to engage together in a season of prayer where we're praying for unity, for wisdom, for boldness as a church. So the first thing I want to invite you to do is, is to join me in doing that so that we can engage in these spiritual practices together. The second thing I want to invite you to do is, is maybe more personal. It's more individual. And that is this. That's just, just to be willing to wrestle with this question. And, and that question is, is there some place in my life right now where God is inviting me to take a courageous step? Now, only you can answer that. I can't answer it for you. But is there some place in your life right now where God is challenging you, inviting you to take a courageous step. Maybe it's in part of your life that does feel disruptive. Maybe, you know, it's in a relationship. It's in your family. It's in your workplace, in your school. Is there some place right now where, where God is challenging you, inviting you to take a courageous step? A courageous step because there, it may come with a cost. It comes with a courageous step because it, it may kind of, kind of interrupt your convenience, your comfort. It may change how certain people look at you, but it is, it's a courageous step because it is still a step of obedience. Is there some place in your life right now where God is asking you to take a courageous step? As I ask you that, I think about this quote from Thomas Merton who has written, Sooner or later, if we follow Christ, we have to risk everything in order to gain everything. We have to gamble on the invisible and risk all that we see and taste and feel, but we know the risk is worth it because there's nothing more insecure than this transient world. So is there some place in your life right now where God is inviting you, challenging you to take a courageous step? Courage. It's a willingness to take steps of obedience, even when they're costly. Steps rooted in the gospel and rooted in our identity as followers of Jesus. And steps that really open us up to the adventure of what God is doing in the world right now. Courage. What does that look like in your life? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we look at the life of, of Joseph, and particularly in these different scenes, interestingly, we, we never hear a word from him. All we do is seeing him doing certain things. Matthew draws our attention to the fact that in these chaotic moments, in these disruptive moments, what Joseph does is take simple steps, but they're steps of obedience that comes with a cost. Their steps of courage. And Father, I, I pray for us. First of all, I pray for us as a church community. I pray even as we come together at the beginning of the year to engage your word, to engage you in prayer. I pray that just in the life of our church, you, you would bring us together and build a sense of unity and, and, and insight and wisdom as we, we're moving into a new season and boldness to take the steps that you require. 
But Father, I also pray for us individually because I think even now some of us are wrestling with steps that we need to take. Steps that maybe we're, we're hesitant to do because they can, <laughs> they can come with a cost. Maybe things in relationships that we need to address. Or maybe we've gotten stuck in certain habits and we're, we don't know how to get out. But to get out means talking to other people and there's embarrassment and insecurity that come with that. So, Father, I, I, I pray even now that your spirit would just challenge us that, that this is what obedience looks like. And I pray that that we could hear that challenge in such a way that we also remember that the promise of Scripture is that through the Christmas story, you are God, Emmanuel. <laughs> you are God with us. So I pray that we would understand that in taking these steps, you promise to be with us all along the way. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thanks for joining us. And let me just leave you with this question again. Courage. What does it look like for you right now? What does it look like for you right now? Amen.